there's no better place to lose yourself and find yourself than between the covers of a book. Hi, I'm Ann Bocock, and it's time to go between the covers. From mystery to adventure, from romance to history, I interview authors of all genres. Join me for in-depth conversations into their creative processes, their struggles, and of course, their successes. This episode was originally streamed live and includes viewer questions. Enjoy. My guest is award-winning author James O'Born. Now, he's gone from a career in police work. He worked with the DEA, did undercover work, was a special agent with the elite Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and now he's created some really smart, entertaining crime novels. The latest is a collaboration with the one and only James Patterson, and the title is Blindside. I'm so glad to see you. Thank you for having me. I've known you since your very first book came out, Walking Money. There's been a lot of changes in your life since then. Now, I love that book. I love the character, Bill Tasker. So how's life changed for you? Dramatically little. (laughs) Uh, I like certain things, and I still do those. Uh, You know, I like to ride my bike. I like, uh, I run and swim at the beach almost every day when it's open. Uh, and that kind of stuff hasn't changed for me. Uh, it is nice to not worry about, oh, is this book going to get published? Will I be able to sell it? Generally, uh, it's pretty regular employment now. I like working with Patterson. Uh, it's, it's a different feel. It's a good way to do it after almost 20 years of publishing your own books, writing your own books that are published, to work with someone else to be in that sort of uh, relationship where you can bounce ideas off each other. It really was a nice change and it came at just the right time. At the beginning though, you were still working in law enforcement. I think you would, you would do that. You would come home at night and work or you'd ride right. right in the car when, when there was a break. I mean, one change is you don't have to worry about somebody shooting at you. No, I mean, no one not related to me shooting at me, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, I had a certain drive. Like I knew I had to work an hour in the morning before I went to work. And then I'd always work in the evenings for about two hours. Uh, But it wasn't so much the job even. It was all the other stuff. I tried to still coach soccer. I joined a gymnastics class with my daughter because she was a little shy at the time. So I took the adult gymnastics class. Uh, And I got to tell you, no one wants to see at the time a a 40-year-old 225-pound man learning gymnastics. I don't know. I kind of would like to see that. All right. So you've done seven, what is that, four books that you've done with James Patterson to, the, to date? Is that correct? Oh, no. Total, I've done 11. I generally write a series with Patterson, Michael Bennett series. A lot of people know it's a, right. one of his more popular series. And then we did a standalone called Lost about a Miami detective who uh, every case has an international aspect. And in this case, it was uh, human trafficking out of Amsterdam coming to Miami. And then I had a, a combination with Patterson of three short stories that we put together, three novellas that had the same characters and were tied together. And that was called The River Murders. And then the regular uh, Bennett novel came out in early February. So when you first got the call from James Patterson, who by the way, 
has sold more books on the planet than anyone else. I mean, you don't have to think twice, do you? No, I knew him a little bit. Uh, we had talked about it over a number of years. So when he finally called me, I was very happy to get the call. He said, hey, I'm trying something new. I think you might like this. And he was right. I wasn't sure about collaboration, uh, but from the very beginning, there was really no downside to it. To me, he's easy to deal with. He reminds me a lot of some police commanders that I dealt with over the years. He's very to the point. Uh, he's got a really, really good sense of humor. Uh, and he can, he can take a joke as well as deliver it. I am so confused about collaboration because writing generally is a solitary existence. It, it, it's not a team sport. But here you are. What's the process? Well, uh, we don't go into the process much, but, you know, we, we both have ideas. We talk about them. The, the key is we develop a very detailed outline, and that takes actually quite a long time to get the outline. If you get the outline right, the rest of the book comes along pretty easily. Well, I know that Patterson, I, I'm convinced he is wired differently than the rest of us. The last time I spoke with him, he told me he had 30 projects going on at the same time. I don't even know how that's humanly possible. Well, some of them are his TV uh, right? shows, too, that air on your station. So he's a busy guy. He makes me feel like a slacker all the time. <laughs> well, uh, Blindside is the new book. It's definitely a thrill ride. Can I put you on the spot and have you read a little bit of it? Sure. I have to put on glasses for it, though. So I'm going to do a little setup. This is the opening of Blindside. Bennett is at a horrific murder scene trying to keep the grandmother and mother of the two victims calm and, and trying to explain what's going on. And he's just getting a handle on the situation. And then this happens. The uniformed captain from the 40th precinct erupted into the hallway from the stairs. I knew the tall captain from my days on patrol. He yelled down the hallway to the NYPD officers working diligently. Let's move this along, shall we, people? Then he saw me. I had just gotten Mrs. Evans seated. A young patrol officer stepped over and offered her a cup of cold water. She was starting to get that glazed look family members have after a murder. The captain marched towards me and said, this ain't Manhattan North. What are you doing here? Trying to steal a stat? Sometimes cops embarrass me. Yeah, it's a job, but it involves people, people with feelings. I kept it professional and said, just helping out, Captain. Patterson's books, when your help in this book, first of all, let's talk about Michael Bennett. He is not the stereotypical loner cop. I mean, the guy has 10 kids, right? 10 kids. So, uh, I'm thinking of people in quarantine now that are think, listening to this guy who has 10 kids. Come on. But he's, he's a totally different character. He is. Uh, he's a great character. I mean, that's all. Patterson developed all that long before I came along. But I do like to look at each, children, each child and each book trying to focus on one child, one child who has something special going on at that time so that the story's not overwhelmed with 10 children every time. You know, there's always other things going on in one book. One of the girls has her first high school high school boyfriend. As a father, you know, I can relate. 
keeping my mind on my job and on my daughter at the same time. There have been trials and tribulations. His oldest son was arrested and ended up going to prison in New York for drug dealing. So there were several books where they were struggling with him while he was in prison. We try to make it as realistic and relatable as possible. So Bennett has 10 kids that in the book, in Blindside, I think it has a little of everything. National security issues, as I recall, uh, serial killer, kidnapping. You're going to be holding your breath for a while in this book. And part of it originated, uh, I was in New York. I, I have a lot of contacts with the New York Police Department from my working days and since then. And I, you know, I want to get things right. So I'll go up there, I'll visit my daughter, get looks at different police facilities and stuff. And uh, they were talking, it wasn't a secret, but the NYPD has officers outside of New York City. And they have intelligence officers uh, in Europe and the Middle East for a number of reasons. They, they tend to get the first of everything New York City is. So that's what I wanted to play up is that Bennett has to go to Europe. He's kind of doing it on his own. And, but there's NYPD guys there to support him. The fact that you have this background in law enforcement brings, obviously, real authenticity. It's not like you have to research it because you lived it. Well, some of it. I have to research a lot of the scientific stuff. But as far as the interchange, I'm, so often people say, do cops really talk like that to each other? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, no one seems to get upset with it in real life. So I try to take a lot of the jokes and insults that go back and forth come exactly from what I'd heard at one point or another during my career. Your dialogue in all of your books, it's funny. It's definitely, it's, I guess, cop talk, certainly not politically correct by, by any means. So I'm assuming cops are funny. Cops are funny. Cops are the funniest people you'll meet, unless you meet them under the wrong circumstances. Then <laughs> You're never going to like them and never going to think they're funny. Did you ever come up against a really smart criminal? No. no. In all those years? Not really. They all think they're smart. And usually it's their arrogance that brings them down. But no, if they're that smart, they would do smart things like work on Wall Street or something else to make money. Because eventually something bad happens to you. You may not go to jail, but something else bad will happen to you. Because there's a lot of books out there where the criminals are really smart. Yeah. Does that bother and, you when you read it? No. And some of my books, some of the books with Patterson's, we always have the, not always, but we often will have a mastermind. In this book, the guy is brilliant. But again, he's got a, a blind spot. Ooh, that would have been a good title. Uh, <laughs> That's the next one. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's got a blind spot in that he can do everything with a computer, but maybe he doesn't know what the people around him are really thinking or feeling. So uh, there's always a downside. If you are enjoying the show so far, make sure to subscribe. We post new episodes every Monday. And don't forget to leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. Now, back to the show. All right, so here, here's the, the professional question. Any crime book that I read, any TV show, we've got the DEA and the FBI pitted against each other. Is this for good background to make a good story? Or is this, is there really a rivalry? Is this accurate? 
there, you know, it goes hot and cold. Uh, in that particular case, it's not that much of a rivalry because the DEA focuses on drugs and the FBI has a number of other things to worry about. Back when I was with the DEA, the FBI was getting involved more and more in drugs and there was a rivalry. I remember I had a supervisor who just, if he would have had a choice to eliminate drugs in the world or eliminate the FBI, I'm not sure which one he would have chosen. Uh, but I went, I'm a graduate of Quantico, the, technically the FBI Academy, but at the time the DEA Academy was situated there and we were on one floor and the FBI recruits were, would be housed on other floors and then there would also be police commanders coming in for different classes. Well, did you at least play nice at lunch? Oh, yeah. I did. Okay. I like you, the FBI fine. Okay. You were part of the Miami drug war on the good guy side in the 90s. Um, undercover work, right? Well, I did a little undercover, but most of it, the undercover work that I would do would not be with the, the big drug lords coming in from South America. But there's always little groups. I did a lot of work with the ATF as well because I could go undercover into the groups that they would be investigating. So, you know, I, I did uh, buy guns and drugs a number of times undercover. I've seen Narcos on Netflix, and I know that this is dangerous work. It's still mind-blowing when you go think back to that time, the money, the violence. I mean, this was real in Miami then. Yeah, and everyone seems to have forgotten it. You get into Miami now, and it's so gentrified and, and pleasant. Uh, it's nothing like what I remember when we used to go down there. Yeah, hardly. Do you ever miss what had to have been, like, the biggest adrenaline rush? No, uh, not really. I, I thought I would when I finally did leave police work about five years ago. And maybe right when I left, I started to, you know, I was a little anxious. I wanted to do stuff. I was busy every minute of every day. And it is harder. So then when you retire, uh, my wife kind of kept me occupied by ramping up the trips, more and more trips, keep me busy that way. I got involved working on a, a documentary with a friend of mine that took quite a bit of time, but I could focus on writing. What I found was I couldn't spend any more time actually writing each day. Because after a while, you start to get tired. You, you're not as sharp as you want to be. So I do a lot of research and I'll write notes out during the day. And then I have about a two hour window where I work hard. I dictate most of everything I do. And it, it seems to have been working out. That that's, it begs the question. Right now, people are isolated and quarantined and usually that bodes very well for a writer. But having that giant space of time doesn't mean you're more productive then. Absolutely not. I. I actually don't mind the lockdown as much. All the stuff I normally do, with the exception of the beach, I still do. I ride my bike. Uh, I can't go to the Y like I used to, but I have other things that I can do. Uh, I do tend to work early now rather than saving it for the end of the day. And it is odd to be at, say, 3 o'clock in the afternoon and say, wow, I've worked out. I've worked on the book. I've got everything done for the day I need to do. I'm still not good with just saying, hey, let's watch a movie. I try to find other things to do. You, 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 like we said, you have this edge when it comes to writing about crime because you know it from the uh, police side. You've lived it. But one project that you did 
research, and you just alluded to this, was when you chose to go to Afghanistan for another project. Now, this is not exactly the vacation capital of the world. Can yeah. you share what that was like? Uh, you know, it was a, keep in mind, although we traveled with the military, the military was doing all the heavy lifting. Uh, you know, I w at no time really felt like I personally was in danger because just like in police work, I had a dozen heavily armed guys around me, which made me feel pretty confident. Uh, we went uh, just about two years ago. I was there with a former newscaster here in Palm Beach County named Tim Malloy, who most people know, a videographer named Steve Field from California, and a, our narrator was a fellow named Matt Eversman, who is a public speaker, an excellent public speaker, and was also the story of Black Hawk Down sort of revolves around him. Uh, he's on the first page of the book and in the, one of the main characters in the movie. So we were looking at medical treatment in Afghanistan and combat operations for the U.S. have ground down significantly. So it was mostly at allies, uh, the Afghan fighters. And we followed one of the Afghan fighters who had stepped on an IED through the, the medical process and interviewed the hospital and things like that, that I really felt like I had a good understanding of it. We travel around the country quite a bit. So I saw different places. Uh, I was on enough helicopters to satisfy me for a while. Uh, on our way out, we didn't leave altogether. They couldn't guarantee us when the, the uh, military flight out was going to be. So rather than risk it being delayed over and over again, uh, Matt had a speaking engagement he had to get to. So I decided to come back with him on a commercial flight. So we flew to Kabul International Airport from Bagram Air Base, which is not far, but we didn't have a stamp to enter the country because we'd come in on military base. The Air Force knew it ahead of time and told us, look, this might be a problem. You should be able to get through. They're not super strict. And sure enough, when I got up there, the guy said, hey, you can't fly today. You don't have a stamp on your passport. So I tried to discuss it with him. Next thing I know, Matt and I were pulled out of line and held in detention and for immigration, and they took all of our documents. I wasn't too, too worried. No one seemed that upset. I was thinking at worst, we had to figure out a way to sleep comfortably at the airport, because that's the one thing the Air Force told us is under no circumstances, leave the airport. So an hour later, maybe a little more than an hour, a large group of the immigration officers walked up to us, and one of them was holding my Florida driver's license. And he looked at it and just said, Florida, nice. And I was like, you like Florida? And he said, Mickey Mouse. I said, would you like to visit? And he turned and looked at all of his friends. He said, all of us? And I said, I got plenty of room. And he handed me my license and said, you're free to go. Before we got to our first layover, he had friended me on Facebook. Uh, he made me email him and he emailed me right back when we were still there. So now, you know, I talk to this guy from Afghanistan every once in a while. Best immigration story I think I've ever heard. You win. A couple of other great things came out of this trip, though. An Emmy for the documentary. So that was great work. And the book River Murders, correct? Wasn't that? Uh... that that's correct. The, the third story in River's Murders, although Patterson and I developed it together, we used a lot of my experience in Afghanistan. And it's not the experience you think. You know, people think, oh, you know, what's an explosion look like? What's a, no, you wouldn't expect there to be just residential neighborhoods next to the air base, just like it would be here. And that there, there is regular traffic. People go about their everyday lives. 
it's not a constant battlefield. So little things like that, details about Bagram Air Base, you know, how the missile attacks are alerted, where you go. There, there are bunkers all around it with, with sandbags. Little details like that I try to insert into any book that I'm working on. Probably not going back there anytime soon. Uh, if we had the right story, I wouldn't, certainly wouldn't mind going back. But I will say I went to the Middle East again this, I just got back about a month ago. And it was a much more comfortable trip on a commercial flight. Jim, I have to ask, crime fiction is, is like one of the biggest selling genres. And women seem to be the biggest readers. Why is it so popular? Why, why do you think it just hits right with women? Uh, I think it's relatable. I mean, they can see things going on, anyone reading crime fiction. Hey, this is based on something that I know about. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. But you get that feeling. Whereas, you know, if you're reading Game of Thrones, clearly you're not relating to it on a personal level. Even though it's a great book, I'm not knocking it. If you recall, years ago, I wrote a couple of science fiction, and those seemed to hit a chord with people, too, because at the time, it was 2008, we were right in the middle of the Great Recession, and it didn't paint the rosiest picture for Florida in the future, but it was fun to write. Both of them were, and they, they did get optioned. Uh, they were never made into anything, but at least they're the only books I ever had that were optioned a couple of times. You wrote a book a couple years ago, and we only have a, a little bit of time left, but I have to talk about this for a minute, and that is Scent of Murder, because you wrote about dogs and who doesn't love dogs, and these may be like the smartest dogs in the universe. Having had dogs that none would qualify for Mensa, I just adored this. Did you ever work with canine dogs yourself? I was never a canine handler, but obviously I've worked with them many times over the years, and they they would always say the same thing. Why doesn't anyone ever write books about canine handlers? They really are right on the cutting edge of almost everything. So one day I was in New York just chatting with my agent, and I, she asked me about police canines. Her daughter was interested in something. I, I can't remember the exact details. And uh, I told her you know, what canines do and some of my experience with them. And she just looked at me and she said, that would be a fascinating book. Could you make something around that? And that's how Scent of Murder started. And you, there are pictures on your website. You, ha, you did real <laughs> research with dogs. I, I put on the suit and had a police canine attack me, bring me down, bite me, that sort of thing. And uh, I knew how good they were. How, but you don't know how strong they are and how much their jaws hurt until even with the, the full padded suit, it's wrapped around your hand or your forearm. All right. We have a question from Facebook, and it says... The logistics of writing with James Patterson, how do you do it? Do you meet? Do you, how do you communicate? Are you in the same room? How does this work? Uh, all different ways. I mean, we don't live far from each other. I think I'm the only co-writer that lives near him. So sometimes we meet for lunch. We always are talking on the phone. And, you know, I've, we have sat down in person at offices and at home and, and tried a few things, too. It's never the same. Hopefully things are going smoothly. and we're just chatting on the phone after we write the initial uh, outline. This has been such fun for me. I, I, I have enjoyed this. I, I know this is so strange, us in different places and, and through the screen, but thank you. I want to thank you so much for taking your time, for doing this today. Thank you for having me. I'm Ann Bocock, and thank you for listening to Go Between the Covers. 
produced by South Florida PBS. To stay connected with us and our guests, check out our show notes or visit us at southfloridapbs.org slash go BTC. Next Monday, I'm interviewing New York Times best-selling author of historical fiction, Laura Kamoy. You might also know her as romance novelist, Laura Kay. She joins us to talk about Ribbons of Scarlet, an epic novel of seven unforgettable women during one of the most tumultuous times in history, the French Revolution. Don't miss it.